two verses, that's all. Um, but they carry serious weight, don't they? And we must consider them. So I shall approach because the issues involved here are sensitive and, and I hope I'll approach with due caution. But we must say that Jesus felt the need to speak about the issue of divorce uh, because it was relevant at the time and the institution of marriage remains an issue of our day, doesn't it? We're all part of a family, so this, uh, this issue is not just for married people because at some time we were all, and we are now, in a family and marriage is, is essentially at the heart of that. Some in our world, as you've seen from that video, would say that the concept of marriage is out of date. We now live in an age of partnerships where people should be free to change a partner uh, without any feelings of guilt uh, because it's our choice as to whom we form relationships with. Um, so we can trade in if we want to. Uh, but God's word is committed to the concept of marriage from creation onwards. The Old Testament talks about it. Jesus is committed to it. Paul realizes it's an issue of his day. And remember that God is committed to the idea of relationship in all its biblical forms. But our text today is about divorce and therefore about marriage. So we're going to focus in on that. And I hope it's relevant to, to all of us that are here. I'm also aware that there are probably people here who've, who've been hurt and affected by this issue. It's, it's a huge issue. And it's something that's uh, caused a lot of grief to a lot of people. Uh, and I hope that a man who's been married 55 years has got something to say on that, which will be a blessing to you. And I won't come across as kind of either patronizing or anything else horrible. Um, different people have interpreted the text on divorce in, in many ways. Matthew 5.31 is the only, the only place you find it. So let me paint a little bit of the context which I think will help you understand why Jesus says what he says. In the first century, divorce was not uncommon. It was sometimes abused, certainly, but it, but it was around. Because that's why it's referred to as writing a divorce certificate. That comes from Deuteronomy 24.1. Now, divorce was permitted in Moses' day, but it was regulated. So a divorced wife in those days was issued with a final separation document. Now, that was for her protection. Prior to this, a husband could change his mind, having thrown his wife out and just demanded um, that she go away, he could then demand that she comes back again, at his will and behest. And Moses said, no, we'll put a stop to that. If you throw her out, she is free to marry again. That is the end of that relationship. Now, in Jesus' day, you won't like this next bit, but you're going to get it. Even in Jewish society, one sect of Judaism believed that a man could divorce his wife for a very trivial reason, like producing a poor meal. That is horrendous, isn't it? But it's there. The Hillel sect of Jews did that. Another sect of Judaism very much looked at the issue of unfaithful, which is the word Jesus used in that text, and, and said that that was something, that was the only thing that had any grounds for divorce. And it had to be a sexual sin which automatically created adultery and therefore the end of the marriage. Now, in a Roman context, divorce and remarriage was common even though it was expensive. There's all issues to do, which I haven't got time to unpack about dowries and those sort of things going on. It could be very costly to you. 
but generally always according to a man's um, wishes. The Emperor Augustus was so worried that he issued a decree that young divorced men should remarry to stop them behaving in loose ways at night on the town. He was worried that the society that he was creating um, was going to be something that fell apart. And he also instructed them to remarry uh, within 18 months to a year of being divorced. 18 months to two years, sorry. Now, that's the context, a variable one. One which different aspects of society believed uh, was the right thing. So then we get to Jesus' statement. In this mixed context, it is no wonder that Jesus, as we've been looking at in all these series, it has been said, but I tell you this about this divorce. A man must leave his father. That's where Jesus goes back to. A man must leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That is Jesus' model for the relationship between a man and a woman. He returns to that Genesis statement and says, that is what I want to happen. Often called leaving and cleaving, isn't it? And you cannot escape from Jesus' central point that this is his plan. The strength of Jesus' statement comes from two phrases, really, united and one flesh. Jesus is really hammering the idea that once people commit to each other in a marriage relationship, they are united and it is one flesh. One flesh is not just about sex. It's about close, deep intimacy. It is the bringing together of two people as if they form one thing. I mentioned at nine o'clock the, the idea, the strange idea that sometimes you're thinking the same as your, your wife is or husband is thinking. Oh, I was thinking that exactly at the same time. There is a kind of bond which develops within a marriage and one flesh is about that, a deep, deep intimacy and a deepening relationship that gives society a solid base of family life. That is what the Bible teaches. And in all the reading and work that I've done on this, I, I cannot escape that idea. It was till death us do part, which is why in a marriage service, when I've done them here, I've told the couple, what I do at the end of that marriage service is of profound importance. That which God has joined together, let not man separate. It's not just a wish or a hope. That's words from Matthew 19, verse 6. That's what God says. This bringing together of two people. But of course, it doesn't always work, does it? Nobody turns up to a wedding thinking about divorce. Most would assume it's the start of a relationship. There's love, there's hope, there's excitement, there's expect everything bubbling around at a wedding, literally. But two things emerge from here. I think I have to say this, that in, in all the, the reading, again, that I've done, divorce is the last option when a marriage is in difficulty. Everything which can be done should be done to rebuild, repair. It, it may take hard work. It will take hard work, but it will take time. And secondly, what 
are married people now doing about helping their relationship function well? Uh, I've, I've often been challenged by this. I've never been on the marriage course, but I, I sometimes, when I, I'm struggling a bit, I, I found myself in a place where somebody said something, Dave, pull your socks up, mate. There's things you need to sort out. There's things that aren't going as well as they could be. And, and you need to do that. So that is something which uh, I think to all married couples here and to all of us that are in a relationship with a married couple, it is our duty to, to help them grow and develop as a couple together in, in their married life. Marriage in the Bible is important. It's God's way. It's God's plan. Thirdly, God is a realist. Everyone in any relationship makes mistakes. You'll be pleased to learn that no marriage is perfect. Tensions will occur, problems will arise. Uh, and if you come after, me, after the service and tell me your marriage is perfect, I'll tell you to go and read a book or something. I am profoundly grateful that God led me to a lady called Heather 56 years ago. She is not perfect, you'll be pleased to know. But I treasure everything that there is about it that she has blessed me with over those years. If you have a spare couple of weeks, Heather will be able to tell you about some of my imperfections as well. So it would take a couple of weeks to get through most of them. So there we go. She will tell you, along with many joys, we've, we've known pressure, we've known pain, we've known the agonies of life, and yet with support of friends. So I'm not speaking to you as a guy in a perfect marriage, okay? Don't let anybody fool you. But sometimes issues grow and develop until they appear unsoluble and a breaking point is reached despite every effort to heal and bring people together again. What does God think of that? Very much like I suspect anybody in the experience I've had of dealing with this, uh, everybody wishes it never happened. That's why God says in Malachi 2.5, I hate divorce. Because it is a breakup of a marriage relationship, which is the image that the Bible uses to talk about the relationship between God and his church. Now that clearly is incredibly precious to God. But he's saying marriage is like that. And hence I hate divorce. Because it breaks up something which God joined together. And we need to understand that these things do happen. But can I just say about that Malachi text, it's very important we don't misread it. It does not say God hates divorcees. And I've heard people say that, and it makes me cringe. Nobody is beyond the scope of God's wonderful love and grace. Quite the reverse. Quite the reverse. So God does not hate you if that's something that you've been through. He loves you just as he's always loved you. But in this text, there is an exception. Um, clearly God's heart is that divorce doesn't happen. You can draw that from Scripture, that divorce is not the ideal. But Jesus does put limits on, and he puts on the limit of marital unfaithfulness. The Greek word used here by Jesus cannot be used in any other context, and I've checked this thoroughly. It, it can't be used as a divorce on any grounds. It's, it's a sexual thing. 
adultery finished a marriage. Uh, and it, it's clear from the, the text that that's so. The word doesn't give you room to say that a divorce can be done on anything that you choose. But the Pharisees' question in another part of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 3, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and other reason? That came out of the culture, the prevailing culture at the time. And again, we take that, that divorce was allowed, but it was never the option. But we must face the fact that these things happen. And Jesus' teaching is that it would be better if the marriage could have been saved. If we move on to 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about the duties of husbands and wives and vice versa, husbands should fulfill their duty to their wife. Now that is about sexual union. It's about what we sometimes call conjugal rights. And whatever age you are, the Bible clearly states that the duty of a husband and a wife is very clearly mutual in 1 Corinthians 7 is to love and to respect the heart, soul, and body of their partner. And that's important. There are, there are good chemical reasons for that, which I won't bore you with, but there are some. And, and we should be people that support our partners with that, with food, with clothing, with all the sort of things that a part of a relationship of living together. We, we have a mutual duty to do that and to develop it. And if we do, then divorce may not rear its ugly head. Now, some people use that ground as a ground for divorce. I think that's pushing it a bit. Um, but clearly, the, the, the major ground for divorce is that. Now, let me just talk about things like abuse and neglect. Again, people will differ on this one. They will, they will say things like, um, what Jesus is talking about in 531 actually is, is a kind of adultery. It, it, is a, it is an ending of a marriage by the way you behaved towards your partner. And therefore, it is grounds for a victim to say, it's time that we pulled this one and, and ended it. So that's what the Bible, I think, tells us about the subject of divorce. Now, of course, we must just briefly, very quickly deal with remarriage. Now, this one has divided the church over many, many, many years. And I may be controversial here the way I'm going, but forgive me, and by all means, talk to me afterwards and tell me I'm talking rubbish. There are those who say that what Jesus says in 531.2 is, is that remarriage is not on the table. It's just not there. Now, I would argue that the passage that Simon so helpfully took us through last week had Jesus talking about gouging eyes and cutting hands off. Did he mean it literally? No. And if he follows that same grammatic idiom, it can be argued, I choose my phrases carefully, it can be argued that what he's saying here means that adultery means the end of a marriage. But, well, what can it mean? And that is the massive question. Where Jesus says divorcing your wife makes him adulterous, is he actually saying that, that therefore it can never happen that somebody comes together in a relationship with another person again? Now in Matthew 19, the disciples found Jesus' teaching hard to accept. They said, it is better not to marry. 
But Jesus said, no, marriage is right for some people, just as singleness is right for some people. But the complexity of this is, is something which you'll have to trust me on. I've read right the way through all this, and I've been much exercised on, on what I should say at this point about remarriage. And it's to do with what God doesn't say as much as what God does say. And it seems to me that God raises the issue that if a person is a victim of a divorce, they are free under the whole of Scripture. If you want me to take you through this, it will take me about three hours. But right the way through, you will find that that liberates that person to be someone who can marry. It certainly liberates widows. That's stated clearly. But many people would argue that a victim of a divorce is free to remarry and to have some happiness in that new relationship. I think the perpetrator of divorce, uh, the one who caused the break, has some thinking, repentance, restoration, and a lot of it before they are free to remarry. And, and can I suggest this, that uh, my experience of dealing with this, and this is experience rather than scripture, I have to say, uh, I, I would say that I think about anybody entering into a marriage after a divorce, that it should be done, as the, as the wonderful book of marriage service says, not lightly, but reverently, and according to the Bible and the scriptures that teach on this. But certainly someone who's been the perpetrator needs time and, and a, a chance in their lives to repent of what they've done and ask for God's wonderful forgiveness. Now, I've talked to quite a few people about this and I, I come up with the idea that many, many clergy have said to me, Dave, whatever you do, don't ever write a policy on it. Because every single situation that I've ever dealt with has been different to the one before. What we're dealing with here is hurt people, damaged people, people who've gone through nightmares. And what they need is love. What they need is tenderness. What they need is our love, our community, our support, our arm around the shoulder, our prayer time. What they do not need is a bit of finger wagging. So if you're ever tempted to do it, just remember that when you point a finger at somebody, there's three pointing at you. So don't do it. To summarize very quickly, I think there are three things that I've come out of this with. Um, first of all, God's plan is for marriage. We hold that absolutely strictly. One man, one woman for life. That is what God wants in an ideal world. Secondly, God's word acknowledges that marriages will end before death and acknowledges too that there will be pain and agony in doing it. Thirdly, these issues of divorce are not simple and should never be reduced to a stark this is what we always do process. But it's about somebody with the two people sitting down with an open Bible, yes, 
but with a passion to see restoration, if possible, but certainly to deal with the issues as they go. So let us be people, folks, here who support those in a marriage relationship. There are many people who say that marriage doesn't work. It does because God said it would. And we must be people that are passionately committed, whether we are married or single, to the concept of marriage as God defines it in his word. And we all work to make it happen and rejoice that God has created it. So let us be a church of relationships, relationships that matter, where love prevails, but where scripture is that which guides us. And we have to learn how to balance all these different scriptures so that they teach us what God would have us do. But let us never ever lack love in the way we deal with the situation. Can I pray? And then we'll move on.